Rejoice in your spouse. Can you say it with me? Rejoice in your spouse. If you are here today for the first time, and you haven't been here in a month or two, we have been speaking on sexual purity. That's what Christians like to do. We like to do nothing better than talk about sexual purity. Let's talk about sex. So let me give you a little understanding before I even go in. The church should lead the way and teach in humanity what sex is all about. That's our job. This is not something you feel your way through and stumble upon. It doesn't work that way. It gets into more trouble. But when you understand God's design, it starts becoming beautiful. You start to understand sexual anticipation and sexual hope and sexual fulfillment in much grander way and waiting on God is a beautiful thing for the last couple of weeks I spoke about the negative aspects of the moral wilderness we live in the negative aspects that the Bible warns us about we live in a very seducing culture Uh, everything is sold with the promise of some kind of sexual fulfillment even cartoons today have sexual overtones for seven and six year old children it's beyond the pale it's it's satanic in origin only Satan can be the mastermind of this kind of nonsense Uh, tonight we're going to go look into the book of Proverbs where we've been looking at the moral wilderness we've been in because there is five or six verses that really speak about the, the, the happy prospects of sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife Remember, these verses are found in wisdom literature. So this is wisdom, sexual wisdom within a a relationship between a husband and a wife, the way it was designed to be. I'm going to speak about that. I'm not going to speak long about this because I'm going to speak, in a couple of weeks I'll be speaking through the book of uh, Song of Solomon and it says a lot about it. So I'll really attack it from the Song of Solomon perspective. I do want to touch upon it today because the book of Proverbs, wisdom has not just wisdom to stay away from temptation, but it has wisdom to how to properly have a sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. Okay, so let's uh, put our attentions on Proverbs chapter 5, if you don't mind. Start in verse 15, and then I'll explain my way through. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets... Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always with her love. Let's pray. Almighty God, I'm such a blessed man and blessed husband. To be taught by your very word on what's proper, what's right. You have given me the divine perspective on sex, on intimacy, and on marriage. And for this, God, I humbly say thank you. And God, for our congregation, let us know the absolute joy and purity of sexual relations between a husband and a wife, the way you've planted in your grand design for humanity. Let us go back to the origins, O God. Let us understand what it's all about. 
That sexual intimacy and sexual desire is not a freak of evolution, God. It's not a mistake. It is one of your grand engineering designs for happy life. Help us, oh God, never to overstep the boundaries and touch forbidden fruit, Father. And Father, where we have failed, thank you for mercy and grace. Thank you for a fresh new start. Thank you for making us feel like pure virgins again. As you've restored to us, the Christian man and Christian woman, spiritual virginity. And now, God, we can start afresh and we can start anew. Teach us, we ask, almighty God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Rejoice in the spouse of your youth. Over the last few weeks, we spent time looking at sex in the culture we live in. Uh, There's nothing beautiful about it, to be honest with you. The scriptures are plain. Our own human experience teaches us that the world has gone sex crazy. It is crazy about sex. It worships sex. Uh, The world says if you're not having it, there's something wrong with you. You're sort of missing out on life. And there's even a little voice in our own minds. And you got Satan saying, well, if you're not having sex, you know something? The best years of your life you're missing. I want to address that because that's not true. That's a lie. If you're not walking with Jesus, you can have all the sex you want. And you are not having the best years of your life. I'm going to tell you that right now. Abstinency with the Lord is greater than a thousand sexual encounters without God. Purity with God is greater than impurity without Him. Make that known now. Tonight we want to look at God's design. For the gift of sexuality, the beauty of it, the joy, the privilege, the power, the protection, the responsibility, the hope, the fulfillment, and yes, most of all, the worship. Sex between a husband and wife is worship. Let me say it again so you hear it clear, you hear it loud. Sex between a man and a woman, between a husband and a wife, is worship. It's not about entertainment. Sexual desire is a gift from the Almighty for, to a man and a woman. Lust is sin's way of perverting it. Lust in the heart takes a good desire and turns it into bad. Sexual desire is good healthy. But when sin gets a hold of it, it perverts it, misdirects it, and we pay the penalty whether you want to believe it or not. We all pay the penalty. The culture is paying the penalty. Lust is desire gone mad. It's desires without boundaries. Lust is desires without God. Period. Lust and selfishness go hand in hand, just like lust, selfishness, and pain go hand in hand. Sex, first of all, is not about sex. Did you know that? It's about the marriage. It's one of the dynamics within a healthy marriage that sex is to be exercised and enjoyed. And marriage is not about marriage. Did you know that? It's about God. It's all about God. 
evolution didn't give us sexual desire. God did. And he gave it for a reason. That we enjoy one another. And tell him at the same time. Praise God. It's about a covenant. It's more than an agreement. Covenant in the Bible cannot be broken. It's to be taken serious. Two committing to live as one in a way that somehow reflects the glory of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This great unity within the diversity of the Godhead. The relation between a man and a woman is supposed to do that. The unfortunate thing now because of sin it's marred so bad it's hard to see. But when you do see a husband and wife who love one another and raising a godly family, you can take a step back and say, wow, that's magnificent. It really is just super magnificent to see it. Sexual intimacy is a language of its own. It conveys feelings and desires that can no other way be expressed except through sexual intimacy. Just as words convey information, so does sexual intimacy. It expresses a certain kind of desire, a love and joy, and even hope for the other party. And at the same time, it comes a special and unique experience, a bonding The Bible calls it the two shall become one. It's so bad that what I'm trying to do is to reteach what it's all about. So you can get a a glimpse of the glory. Because our minds and our hearts are so marred by it that we don't know if there's anything glorifying in it. But I'm here to tell you, sex, when it's done right... In the eyes of God, is a God-glorifying gift. Guess what? God's pleased. Sex is not dirty. Man's made it dirty. There's nothing wrong with money. Man's perverted money. My heart and prayers, I pray over these sermons, and trust me, I am. I don't get up here empty. And I'm praying that you grasp the magnificence of it. And it can help. Helping your own lives. We still live in a fallen world. We still live in a fallen body. Even husband and wives, Christian men and Christian women that love God, love one another, still have to deal with sexual inadequacies. How can I say that? Not every Christian husband and wife are having grand sexual times at home. And we're still living in a void. Get tired. It still needs work. Are you with me? All right. I'm not ashamed to preach. As a matter of fact, I quite like it. I I quite like preaching on it. Because I know my job and role as a pastor. God's called me to do it. It's the word of God. And it's there to liberate God's people. And guess what? Just about all of God's people need to be liberated sexually. At the same time... As I said, it comes with a special experience. The two becoming one. It's unique. It's it's like a snowflake. It's uniquely designed, and each couple's experience of it is quite unique. 
And this is why when the, the boundaries of sexual intercourse between a husband and a wife have been broken and, and there's multiple sexual partners, there's a cheapening of sex and of intimacy and of God glorifying. But with the word of God, with being born again, God starts to reinstate what it's all about. And understand, Christian man and woman, if you fell in, God can renew and you can taste how sweet it is again. You really can. It's not a buffet. The world thinks it's a buffet. You know, help yourself. Cut the line if you want. Get two plates. Pile it on. The gravy, the grits, everything. The more, the better. It's not a buffet. Me and my wife are blessed to be married 36 years, been together almost 49 years since we're kids. But it's something we all got to work on. We still got to work on. We live in a pervasive society that seduces and tempts both men and women in every way. It's something you have to be on your guard with all the time. It's not to be taken lightly. This sermon, this series of sermons, is not to be taken lightly. I can tell you right now, if not half of the people in this room, 90% of the people in this room need to hear this message. Speaking on sex once, many years ago, 10 years ago, and I was speaking on sexual purity. And after the sermon, someone came up to me and told, 75 years old, a woman, and told me how something had happened to her as a child, and she could not get rid of the images all her life. Throughout a whole marriage, five kids, one husband, the sexual images tormented her. And I don't get up here empty. I know what goes on in the world. I know what goes on between the two ears. I know how the mind can be your worst enemy. And I'm here to tell you, God's here to liberate people. The word of God sets us free. Sex serves the marriage. We don't serve sex. What Jesus says, the Sabbath, man doesn't serve the Sabbath, and man doesn't serve the temple. Both the Sabbath and the temple serve man. Sex helps to serve us. Serves the marriage. It strengthens the marriage. It develops the marriage. And remember, sex is just part of the marriage relationship. It's a major part, but it's not the only part. There are a lot of dynamics that go into a healthy marriage. Sex is one of them. The promise of children is a blessing, and it's the most blessed part. It helps build the marriage, fidelity, trust. This is like forever glue. Not just romantic nights and romantic dinners, but sex is a, is a glue. And it brings people together. And says, I'm yours and you're mine, period. That's it. The wife has to know that. The husband has to know that. Husbands and wives need to have sexual talks. They need to really talk about these things. 
and, and to find out where each other are at. It's okay to say, I love my, I told my wife, you know, all of a sudden I got to crush a girl on the gym. <gasps> the pastor's got to go. Listen, I love what I, I don't, listen, I'm transparent. And that's as far as it goes. Then after that, it's over because I told my wife, and guess what? Satan has no card. It's over. It's gone. But boom, that's all it is. I'm still a man. I'm still a man. Did you know that? I'm still a human being. And why I don't fall into it is because I have discussions with my wife. That's why. And if you can't have a, a discussion like that with your wife or your husband, understandable. But you make sure if you're a woman, you have a great Christian woman around you that you can talk to. And if you're a man, you have a great Christian man you can talk to. Because you don't let that stuff hang around. Satan will exploit it. He'll exploit that kind of nonsense. It helps us talk about feelings and hopes and disappointments and the pains of life. It's part of it. Raising children together. Helping people in general. Praying about sex. Growing together in the worship of sex. Worshiping God. This all involves becoming one. This is unity in diversity and sexual intimacy is a great part of it. I'll tell you right now, it will make it or break you. It will make it or it will break it. If it's not dealt with biblically, it's going to sting. But if it's dealt with properly, the way the Bible teaches, it will sing. You'll never feel guilty. You'll never feel the shame. You'll never feel pressure. You'll have great joy. Sex has a place in solidifying the two. That's why when I counsel people, I counsel husbands and wives, and I listen, I listen, I listen, one of the first things I ask is how sexual intimacy. Because when that's on the brinks, that's a telling, telling thing. And if you're here today, you're a Christian husband and wife, and, you know, you've got to speak about these things. If there's something going on sexually, and it's getting cold in the bedroom, understand something, that's a telling sign. And it's not a time to shut up, it's a time to speak up. It's the time to get real and to share your heart with your husband, share your heart with your wife. It pleases God. Know this, it pleases God. Let me tell you something right now. Sex without these qualifications becomes self-serving. It never lives up to its divine design. Actually, it becomes destructive force. The pain of breakup. Homosexuality, lesbianism, fornication, adultery, no matter how much they say they love or actually do love one another, listen, it will never or can never ever be God-glorifying or God-pleasing. And if God ain't smiling upon the bed, then it ain't happy. It's a delusion. It is a delusion. No matter what they think or what people say. Listen to me. The Christian can pray before sex. The Christian can praise God during sex. And the Christian can give thanks to God after sex. Because it's worship to God. It's worship. God, me and we get together tonight, bless our time together. In the middle of sexual intimacy, praise God. And after it's all is said and done, thank you, Lord. That's sex. And if that doesn't have, if that sexual relations don't have that element in it, then we shouldn't be involved in it. 
It's worth waiting even for a long time. So you know the tears of joy. And you're like, God, thank you for mercy. Thank you, God. Even when I counsel on sexual relationships, I only use the negative exhortations, the admonishments in Scripture not to fall into sexual temptation. I use that last. I don't use that first. First, I break down how sweet sexual relationships are between a husband and a wife. That's, that, that, it's sweet. And then you move over towards the moral exhortations that warn against it. And why? Christians still think that sex is dirty. Come and hear the Song of Solomon and you're going to see how beautiful it is. When it's done right, it's magnificent. Breakups. Why do you think we counsel young men and young women, even older adults, you know, older adults that become Christians and all of a sudden they're, they're going to obey God, but you know something, just don't, talk, don't give me the sex talk, Pastor. I'm old enough to deal with it myself. I've heard that. I can handle the sex. Knock yourself out. You'll find out. You see, when two people are courting, the way the Bible teaches it, and it doesn't work out, you know what happens? You have two friends. If there's sex involved and they break up, it gets ugly. It gets painful. It gets downright rotten. Feelings, jealousy, suspicion, betrayal. People struggle with that the rest of their life. But nobody's talking about it. It's everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. Pastor, if God loved me so much, then why did he give me a sexually transmitted disease? I heard that. I said, oh, did he give it to you when in confession? Were you praising God at worship and he gave it to you then? Were you reading your Bible when God gave you the sexually transmitted disease? Or were you fornicating? The obvious answer was yes. Don't blame God. Let's go to our text. Well, almost anyway. Chapters 5 and 7 are an over, are overall admonition against all adulterous and sexual illicit temptations. That's what Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 are. As we saw for the last two weeks, it's a personification of illicit sex. And even mirrors the culture we live in. We live in a hedonistic, no shame. Do you know why we live in a society that's pulling off all the taboos of shame? Because they don't know what to do with it. And if they just say there's no shame, they talk themselves into it. Uh, It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But anybody with a conscience knows it's not okay. If it's okay, why am I hurting on the inside? Why am I still wounded on the inside? Why am I still going over it in my head? Years later, I'm going over it and over it and over it and over it and over it. Why? Because it's not okay. Let me tell you something about the mind, the way God designed it. Remember Silly Putty? Remember Silly Putty? You take it, you put the Sunday Times on it, and, and you look at it, then you mush it up, and you do it on another newspaper. That's what the mind is sexually. You might think you forgot about it, but it's still in there. 
It's all in there. And you need to stand under the word, the washing power of the word of God for a season in your life until one day you can say, "Up, I can love a woman or I can love a man the way God has designed. Amen. You don't want to be taking nonsense into your relationship. Past sexual experiences into your relationship. I'll be speaking on the positive side of what Christ has done for us. Because there's, there's pain to that, I understand. But Christ can make you feel like a vested virgin all over again. He can truly wash your mind. He can truly set you free from old things and old desires. Christ has the power. Before we move on to our text, the Bible says a lot about sex. It's all within three contexts. Every time you see something sexually in the scriptures, it falls under three contexts. It's either part of a marriage with all its blessings. It's either a sin done outside the marriage with all its pain and consequences. Or it's a spiritual metaphor for our relationship with God. We're either faithful or we're unfaithful. Always like that. Sex is never covered as a topic in itself. Isolated from its purpose and design within a marriage. The Song of Solomon is all about sexual relationship within the marriage. It's not just a biology lesson. As we used to learn in school. This is the thing and this is the thing and the thing goes in here. And you're like, Mom, they're teaching me about things. I don't want to hear about these things. You remember that? Here's the thing, and here's the other thing. And then the, I thought a stork, I thought a stork brought me. You gotta laugh. With all its explicit language, there's a grown anticipation of sexual fulfillment in the Song of Solomon. And it's done with a clear eye on the marriage bed. And we're told never to awaken love. Before it's time. Let's read verses 15 and 19. We'll put that up there, Jackie. Just want you to listen to God's word, how it speaks about sexual intercourse. These are all metaphors for sexual intercourse. All right? Drink water from your own. Have sex with your own wife is what he's saying. Alright? Can we get right down to it? Drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs, should your ejaculation be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Isn't that? Please go home and get that into your heart. It's magnificent. It's grand. It's majestic. It's elegant. Not dirty. There's nothing dirty there. As we've seen before, in our teachings out of Proverbs, this is a parental exhortation 
and deep concern for the sexual well-being of the future of the child. The Bible teaches that sexual purity is a main ingredient for a successful life. And I think we could all say, Amen. And now the father turns his attentions from lewd sexual temptations around the son or the daughter to the God-given gift of marriage and the proper use of sexual affections. He directs them, and in so doing, he elevates marriage at the same time. And every pastor who preaches on sex should elevate marriage at the same time, because the Bible does. These verses are using metaphors that were familiar in the ancient world for the experience of sexual affection. It's the Bible's way, it's the Bible's poetry showing God's beauty and sexual intimacy within marriage. I will paraphrase what we just read. You ready, Brian Mons? paraphrase? This is what the Father is saying. Follow with me. <coughs> Son, Your wife is a fresh well of living water that will always satisfy your thirst for sexual love, for sexual fulfillment. Her love will never leave you empty, shameful, or disgraceful. Never remorseful as the man in verses 12 to 14 who hated sexual instruction. And at the end, he ruined his life. He ruined his reputation and he ruined his own conscience. On the contrary, son, instead of wasting your sexual affection on others in the streets where there is no hope of a future healthy relationship or the beauty of past warm and fond memories, but just selfish self-satisfaction with no God-given purpose at all, that at the end is just as empty as the beginning. No worship of God, no hope of a family that you can watch God bless and watch God grow old together. No, son. Don't be wasteful with the precious gift of sex that God has given you. That unites your soul to your wife in a very unique way. Son, rejoice always. Again, I say, son, rejoice in the wife of your youth whom God gave you to you. Her breasts are yours alone, son. Never to be seen by another. Special for your eyes. Soft for your hands alone, son. God made them and her especially for you, son. Enjoy the symmetry of her body. Fill your eyes with the beauty of her nakedness. Never be ashamed, son. She is your gift from God. Be totally intoxicated, aroused, inflamed, and burned with passion as a staggering drunkard with her love. Never, son, to awake and suffer a sexual hangover or regret. And say to yourself, I wasted the best years of my life. The strength of my sexual youth, the best years of sexual fulfillment, gratification was wasted on nothing. Nothing sweet at all, nothing to show for it, and God's not glorified in it. this sinner's heart. I'm so glad God washed every sinful thought and old sexual relation out of my mind. I am glad there is a truth, a truth that sets men and women free. I thank God for His Word. I thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank God for what He teaches us on sexual intimacy. 
I'm going to read it again. Stay with me. Are you ready? And this is what the scriptures are saying. This is what the father is saying to the son and of course the daughter. Son, your wife is a fresh well of living water that will always satisfy your thirst for sexual love, for sexual fulfillment. Her love will never leave you empty, shameful, or disgraceful. Never remorseful as the man in verses 12 to 14, who hated instruction on sexual behavior, and at the end he ruined his life, his reputation, and his conscience. On the contrary, instead of wasting your sexual affection on others in the streets, where there is no hope of future healthy relationships or the beauty of past warm and fond memories, but just selfish self-satisfaction with no God-given purpose that ends as soon as it begins. No worship of God, no hope of a family that you can watch God bless and grow old together. No, son, don't be wasteful with this precious gift from God that unites your soul to your wife in a unique way. But rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice, son, in the wife of your youth. Her breasts are yours alone, son, never to be seen by another. Special for your eyes and soft to your hands alone, son. God made them and her especially for you. Enjoy the symmetry of a body. Fill your eyes with the beauty of a nakedness. Be never ashamed, son. She's your gift from God. Be totally intoxicated, aroused, inflamed, burned with passion, as a staggering drunkard with her love. Never, son, to awake and suffer a sexual hangover or regret, and say to yourself, I wasted the best years of my life. The strength of my sexual youth, the best years of sexual fulfillment and gratification was wasted on nothing. Nothing sweet at all, nothing to show for it. That's the clear implication of the text. Let me give some words of application. Before I do, please understand. I'm fully aware of the sexual damage that's been done. And when Christians get saved, we come with all sorts of hurts and pains. And sometimes we rather not deal with these things and just let them go and just move on type of thing. But all we do then is suppress it. And it's not good enough just to say don't have sex. We need to be renewed in our mind to have an understanding. Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God for a new way of starting over and and, and to be just so overwhelmed by what Christ has done for us, that we want nothing better than to please Christ in every area of life. If you are that person, understand something. There's no greater fulfillment than pleasing Christ. Even in your singleness, there is no greater. And I pray that if you've experienced negative that after today you'll start looking at it in a whole different light. Words of application. First and foremost is what Paul says. <clears throat> Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. We're new creations. And it's important to understand that. So we bring a new paradigm shift in thinking about everything, especially in sexual matters. Most of us have grown up tainted with some sort of sexual sin. 
the most important unseen New Testament application for this teaching is that Christ has restored our spiritual virginity. That is the most important thing. God does not hold it against me anymore. Rejoice, brother and sister. Because you're going to find out the world has nothing to rejoice about. Please hear the rest of the text. Christ has restored our spiritual virginity. He's wiped away all shame and guilt. It's done away with. And has given us a greater affection for God. At the end of the day, as much as I love my wife and my wife loves me and we can take care of, uh, we have sexual intimacy, understand something. I can never do for my wife what Christ does for her. And Christ, my wife can never do for me what Christ does for me, ever. When my wife leaves for work in the morning, how blessed I am knowing that she gets in the car, she puts on her praise and worship, and she sings her way to work. Nothing can please me more. She is not going to work happy because we had wild sex the night before. I can tell you that right now. All right? Praise God. Aren't you happy I'm the pastor? Aren't you happy? No. What's pleasing me is she's going to work with Christ. And there's nothing greater. Nothing greater. That is the greatest gift I have to give my wife. Is that she loves the Lord. Because I might not be here next week. And so on and so forth. So understand something. Let me tell you something. When we go into the Song of Solomon and when we, what we're looking over here. And you see, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The infatuation and sexual infatuation when you're young and it's like you you live it every moment is driving on that that doesn't last forever and you better have something in its place when the void is gone because it's not you're going to get yourself in trouble all right there are people still trying to scratch the itch as though they were 20 years old and they're 60 and they're 70 and they're 50 and their best years have gone but they're trying to maintain a sexual life that they had when they were younger they forget give up grow up and relax and watch a Hallmark movie alright it's not going to be all fun and games all the time we can spend more time on this than I will but for today's sake for those who are still pure sexually it gives great understanding and boundaries for sexual desire Sexual, there's nothing wrong with sexual desire it has to be placed in the right direction God has to be involved and that's why I encourage when all the young, anybody who's staying sexually pure for the Lord, if you're a Christian I say you pray over these things bring it to the Lord, tell the Lord you're burning bring it to Christ cry with Christ for a half an hour watch what happens bring your loneliness to the Lord and he'll reward you in ways that no one could. There's a grace from God for each and every one of us for whatever trial you're going through. You get it when the trial comes. You don't get it now. But if you find yourself in that burning, passionate place, bring it to the Lord and He'll show Himself strong. Yes, amen. Sexual desire is okay, it's normal. But God has to be in the equation. Let it not turn to lust. Sexual desire is okay, 
But when it turns into lust and has no boundaries, it has no self-control, then it becomes your enemy. For those who are saved and are not married, I mean, that's a real true consideration. It's hard. And the Bible doesn't give an easy answer. I'm going to tell you that right now, so I can't give you an easy answer. There's three things. For those who are saved and not married. One, it's a time of healing is needed sometimes. Sometimes it's for a long time. Sometimes counseling is needed. Sometimes counseling is usually very necessary. Only God knows how long. You know, sometimes we come out of a sexual culture. Some of very people are very sexually active, and, and now they get saved, and you know they want to move on to a marriage. And they're like, why isn't God? I said, well, I don't know why, but one thing I'm sure, how's your mind? And then when you have sexual, sexual multiple partners, and all of a sudden you just want to get married like one week after your salvation, like, whoa, hold on here. And you got a lot to learn. You might need a two or three years of just sitting back and letting God renew your mind and find out what marriage and sex is all about. You don't want to bring the garbage of the old into the new. You got you got you got to have a high view of sexual intimacy and a high view of uh, of marriage. As a matter of fact, you know you never think of sex in terms of sex again. It's always in the context of marriage. Always, not kind of self gratification. So there's a time of healing that's needed very many times. That's the first thing. The second thing. A lot of people have to reevaluate their understanding of marriage and sex and life and salvation and what a relationship with Christ really is. Many times people want God to come and fix their life. You know, fix something. Just tweak me a little bit and everything will be okay. Most of the time it's tweak my wife or tweak my husband and everything will be okay. And God says, no, i got to tweak you. You're just as much as the problem as anybody else is. And to find out that the greatest thing that ever happened to people is their vertical relationship with God. There's nothing greater. There's nothing grander. There's nothing to be more joyful, more happy about at all. Period. End of the story. And when I'm talking to people and they're young in their faith and, and they're, they're why this and why that, I, I, I listen. And to see, have you grasped what salvation is? Salvation is an end to every but you have in your mind. But pastor, but pastor, no, 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 no. Salvation is an end to all the buts you came to Christ with. That doesn't mean he doesn't care about them. But they don't compete with the vertical relationship. Are you with me? And so many times before there can be healing in these other areas, you really got to get tight with God. And it's hard to get tight with God when you're still playing the field. I see people, me and John, watching this for years. Years. We're not not talking about two years. Watching this for decades. You can see when people are coming in and they're looking for a husband or a wife, but they're not looking for God. It's like you're talking to them, it's going right over their head. Me and my wife had a very unnerving experience with a brother who fell into sexual sin. And we went out to dinner with him and his wife. And and my, my wife brought it to my attention. It was like, I didn't know who this guy was. He wasn't the brother I knew. He wasn't the brother I led to the Lord. He's not the brother I I did the marriage. Who is this guy? He was like a monster. 
Understand something about sex, sinful sex. It owns the mind. It owns the mind. It never stops. You can smile, you can put a pastor's collar on, you can put clergy, you can put, I'm this, I'm a doctor, I'm this. But once they're caught up into perversion, it owns them. Pornography will own you, will own you, will destroy you. Period. It's not a light switch that you can turn on for your convenience every once in a while. It could start like that. And then the noise, the voice, constantly there. So when some people come in and they're single and they're saved, but they don't have a wife, it's, it's, I have to ask them, are you on a new course of life with God? Or do you want God just to fix some broken parts of the old life? You'd be surprised. A lot of people come and they just want God to fix a bunch of broken pieces. If you come for that reason, it's okay. But if you stay for that reason, it's no good. If you come for God to fix your life, which most of us do, and we get saved and we realize, wow, I had it all wrong. I needed to get saved. Not just to stop drinking and cussing and womanizing or this or that. I needed not just to empty the feeling, but I needed, I needed God. And then all of a sudden you reevaluate everything. Everything's reevaluated. Everything. Yeah. I trained a young man many years ago. He's a homosexual. Loved him. Loved him. I was a young Christian at the time. I didn't speak much to him about Christ. I was only saved maybe a year or two. But I genuinely loved the guy. I didn't see him for many years. I trained him for about three years. All of a sudden, he comes walking into the men's Bible study with a Bible in his hand one day. I'm overwhelmed. You can see this joy on his life. And this. So I don't know where it's at, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And so about six weeks, and see, he got sober, and he put down a drink, he put down the drugs, but he was still gay. And he thought that was okay with Christianity. So we were talking about reevaluating, and I looked him straight in the eye. I said, when you come to Christ, you've got to reevaluate everything. And he knew what I meant. And like the rich young man, he walked away, and I cried. I cried. Jesus is not here to fix the broken pipes. He's here to make us a new creation. Amen. And to live life his way. And to really enjoy life, marriage, and sex. The third thing, for those who are saved and not married. And like I said, it's not easy. Not easy for me to preach, but I have to preach it. Truth sets people free. Paul says if you don't have the gift of celibacy, and you burn, then you marry within the faith, so you're not tempted. It's okay for two Christians to say, you know something, I want to get married. You're a Christian. Some people think it has to be the perfect human being that comes into their life, you know, because, you know, it's got to be the special. Understand something. Here's the criteria that God, a woman's for you or a man is for you. Are they a Christian? Are they serving Christ the way you are? Don't settle for less. Are you with me? That's the criteria. That's the first and foremost. Are they saved? They might not have the eyes you want, or the stature, 
But there's enough within their godly hearts for you to marry. Now, of course, we want to have physical attraction, of course. But sometimes we've got to put physical attraction second or third and not first. The world has it first. Christians don't have to do that. All Paul says, if you burn with passion, marry within the faith. So Christians who are saved and not married have an option. I'm not saying it's easy. I'll speak more about that as the weeks go on and so forth for my short sermon. <laughs> I get everybody on that. You know, I keep your attention. I want you to know something. I'm proud of you. Not one person fell asleep in this sermon today. I'm looking around. Me and John always talk about it. There's always three or four snoring away. Always. You know? I want you to know, everybody's on their best behavior today, so something good is going on. There's a revival at Sonship Ministries. Praise the Lord. Jackie, get ready. Ephesians 5 and 6. Let me, let me, let me tell you something about sex, all right? There's a little more. I'll close with this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is a covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Listen, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. God is serious about sexual sin. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let the media deceive you. Don't let Hollywood deceive you. Don't let the LGBTQT community deceive you. Don't let politicians deceive you. The wrath of God is coming it's on its way listen to Hebrews 13 verse 4 let the marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous listen to me God presides over every sexual encounter that ever has happened in this planet. God has it in his mind. And once you come to Christ, it's washed out of his mind. And it's washed out of your life. But for everybody else, they got to stand before a holy God. God is serious about sexual sin. Make no mistake about it. Father, we're humbled, absolutely humbled. God, let everyone in this church, including this pastor, be so serious about sexual purity. Let us be open, let us be honest, and let us be transparent, God, because you're a holy God. Let us not fall into the traps of Satan That starts with a little tug here, a little thought here, a little secrecy done over there. And before you know it, the trap has sprung. As James teaches us, Father, do not be fooled. I'm going to skip the verse of Scripture. Father, watch over us in Jesus' name.